Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, a listener writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is, how do you respond to the person who says, my God is a God of love? Well, it was a great debate in the Middle Ages, which had to do with this very thing. Albert saying, basically, and a lot of other people say, God is loving, God is powerful, God can do anything he wants, so he can save people without atonement of his wrath and justice. On the other hand, someone like Anselm said, look, God's honor must be satisfied. And Anselm was getting it right in his book, Why God Became a Man. He said, look, God became man. That's what the Christian church believes from Scripture. Was that necessary or not? Why would God throw, go through that to do that great thing if he can save people by a wave of the magic wand of his power? That doesn't make sense. Following on from Absalom, you come to Luther, and now you can see the translation from historical theology into what into biblical theology or what the Bible teaches particularly. Luther was saying, and Anselm was getting right. We have to be just a little more specific, though. It's not just God's honor in general that must be satisfied and is satisfied by the great work and reason that God became man. What we have to have is the satisfaction of the justice of God. And so what Luther taught can be paraphrased here. Um, God is... God cannot lie. A God, God, God can't. God cannot lie. He cannot die. God is immortal. That means that he doesn't just die, but that he cannot die, and that he cannot deny himself, but must remain faithful. And so, when we talk about this thing, we need to understand that God that we're speaking of, He is Almighty. He is loving. We cannot define that in a way that abstracts from either what is rational or moral. We might think of the little children's catechism so much that it answers the question, can God do all things? And the answer is yes. God can do all things according to the counsel of his holy will revealed in the word of God. And that forces us to think about God's power and love in a way that's connected to both what's rational and what's moral. And so the point is, can, can, can God, just with the magic wand of his love, wave aside all of our sins, wave aside all of our transgressions of the law of God? The answer of the Bible to that question is no, he cannot excuse our sin because God is just. As Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 3, if a law had to be given by which we can become righteous, then surely salvation, justification, righteousness would have been by that law. Of course, what's behind what Paul says here? Christ died. God sent his son and had him crucified. That's what scripture teaches, and he rose on the third day. That's very clear. And now you have to answer this simple question. Was that necessary or not? Would God do that if it wasn't necessary? Well, the only way to answer that question is no. All over the Bible, there are these plain statements of the necessity of the atonement of Jesus. One theologian says that the atonement 
of Christ was a matter of consequent absolute necessity. As John says, that consequent, because the necessity is only there because God first chose to save. God didn't need to choose to save anyone. Salvation, after all, isn't by fair. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. God was free to save, and he was free to choose not to save. But when he chose to save, consequent on that great decision, the atonement of Jesus Christ was absolute necessary, and that absolute necessary character of the atonement was grounded in the most necessary thing about the universe, that of the character of God himself. And so we come full circle to this question now. How do you respond to the person who says that my God is a God of love, since the Bible says that God is love in 1 John 4? See, God is not only, the problem with the question is, it, it, it frames the issue in terms of, well, God is only a God of love. But God is not only a God of love. At the cross, supremely, we see the love of God and the holiness of God meeting in the, in the satisfaction, in the, in the death of Christ, in our place and for our sin. We call this penal substitutionary atonement. See, this is why Christ came, why Christ died. He bled and he died and he rose in my place and for my sin. And so we can say that the wrath and the justice of God met or kissed the love of God at the cross. And when Jesus says in John 19, 30, it is finished. Yeah, there it is signed, it is sealed, it is delivered in the death of Christ. And thereby we have the forgiveness of sins. We have the declaration that we are not guilty. We have the declaration that through Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are forgiven, we are justified, we are adopted, we're declared not guilty, we're bought with a price, we're redeemed from the world, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. We are his, he is ours, and all these wonderful realities that belong to the Christian now. And so the real issue with my God is a God of love is that it's often used by theological liberals to only emphasize one aspect of the character of God over and against the totality of God's character. God is consistent and he is coherent, meaning Titus 1-2 says, for example, God cannot lie. God will always act in accordance with his character. And so we can trust him, we can take him at his word. And that is what we're talking about when we talk about this question. God, yes, is a God of love. God sent forth Christ the Son to pay the penalty that you and I justly deserve. We don't deserve grace. Fair is not fair in the economy of God. Fairness would be getting what we deserve, and that is hell, a place of unending, unrelenting, conscious punishment. And yet God, in his mercy and in his grace, and at the right time, Romans 5 tells us, God sent forth Christ to bleed and to die and to rise in our place and for our sin. And so you and I, we need Christ. We need a God, not only a God of love, but we need a God who is holy, God who is just, who is perfect, who is merciful, who is kind, and who is gracious with us. And that is what we see in the Bible. And so that is how we should respond, not just by emphasizing one attribute of God, namely his love, but the totality of the character of God who is consistent and is coherent and he will always act in accordance with his word. 
In other, word, in other words, God is immutable. He's unchanging. Hebrews 13, 5 and 9 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So we can trust him. We can trust him in the good times. We can trust him in the bad times. We can trust him in all times because he will act according to his character as he has revealed himself in his word. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.